For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Tonight we will be chanting the Metta Sutta, but we will begin with the repentance first, which we chant three times. Let me put those words on the screen. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully vow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Meta Sutta This is what should be accomplished by the one who is wise, who seeks the good and has obtained peace. Let one be strenuous, upright, and sincere, without pride, easily contented, and joyous. Let one not be submerged by the things of the world. Let one not take upon oneself the burden of riches. Let one's senses be controlled. Let one be wise but not puffed up, and let one not desire great possessions even for one's family. Let one do nothing that is mean or that the wise would reprove. May all beings be happy. May they be joyous and live in safety. All living beings, whether weak or strong, in high or middle or low realms of existence, small or great, visible or invisible, near or far, born or to be born, may all beings be happy. Let no one deceive another, nor despise any being in any state. Let none by anger or hatred wish harm to another, even as a mother at the risk of her life watches over and protects her only child. So with a boundless mind should one cherish all living things, suffusing love over the entire world, above, below, and all around without limit. So let one cultivate an infinite goodwill toward the whole world, standing or walking, sitting or lying down during all one's waking hours let one practice the way with gratitude not holding to fixed views endowed with insight freed from sense appetites one who achieves the way will be freed from the duality of birth and death (laughs) 
May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness we have chanted the Metta Sutta. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Maha Prajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen, our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu, the perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri. To the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world, gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings. All Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, mahaprajna paramita. When he is ready, Tygen will introduce tonight's speaker. Uh, good evening, everyone. Welcome. I'm very happy to have uh, with giving the talk this evening, Ray Griffin, who's a longtime practitioner, longtime practitioner at Ancient Dragons, Zen Gay, a former board of directors member of Ancient Dragons. Uh, so, Jerry, uh, thank you very much for giving the talk this evening. Thank you for letting me give this talk and being willing to listen to me. Um, you know, when Tygen first asked me to give this talk, the first thing that came to my mind is, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to give a talk? And then I thought, well, why do you come to the Zen Center? Why do you sit? What is this that you're doing here about? And why do you do it? So I realized there's a Cohen about this very question. And I thought I would read the Cohen and we could think about the Cohen. And then I would sort of like give you a little history of how I practiced and why I practiced. And maybe together we can figure out why do we do this? So the Cohen is called When the Bell Sounds. And it's from this, the version from the two classic Zens translated by Katsuki Sadika. And it goes like this. Uman said, the world is vast and wide. Why do you put on the seven-piece robe at the sound of the bell? Uman said, the world is vast and wide. Why do you put on the seven-piece robe at the sound of the bell? So and here's the verse. With realization, things make one family. Without realization, things are separated in a thousand ways. Without realization, things make one family. With realization, things are separated in a thousand ways. You know, 
I started practicing, I don't know, in the late 80s, early 90s. And I actually started practicing Zen on a whim. I, a friend of mine said, you know, there's this center that does meditation and why don't you come with me sometime? And I thought, yeah, okay. You know, I was kind of up for everything. I'll go. So I sh- it turns out I showed up at, this, at the Chicago Zen Center in Evanston. And what I realized is I couldn't do it. I could not sit still. And it was a kind of a sleepy little place when I showed up there. They never real teacher. A guy by the name of Bob Ryan was the director there. And they had, I don't know, four or six people would come to every sitting. And halfway through that, that first Sunday when I was there, and I don't know if it was my idea or their idea, but I left. I didn't sit the second round because I couldn't sit still. And I was making them all crazy. So I went downstairs and waited for my friend to sit the second round. And then we went home. And I think back at that and I think, why did I go back? You know, you think if you couldn't do something, you'd say, oh, this isn't for me. But there was there was just something about not being able to sit still that was just like, I don't know. I never really thought about it before, but it just like seemed wrong. It was like, you should be able to do this. So I started to go back. And truthfully, they weren't all that thrilled with me coming back any more than I could figure out why I wanted to go back. Bob Ryan said, well, you got to call first. And so, I, you know, I went for like, I don't know, six or nine months. And I would call every, I don't know, Tuesday or Wednesday and say, can I come on Thursday? And he'd say, you know, I was going to say, no, you can't come, you know. But every week he'd say, you got to call first. And at the time, I was aware that other people weren't calling before they came. And I don't know why that didn't upset me, but I, that didn't seem to matter to me. It was like, yeah, okay, you know, back to call, back to call. And I did this for, I don't know, maybe six or nine months. And I learned to sit stiller eventually. And then I had a friend at work who said he was sitting, some people may know the same, he was sitting with Ron Kidd had a group that sat out at the uh, Philosophical Society. And he said, you know, they're having this sashim. I didn't even know what the heck a sashim was up in uh, Racine, Wisconsin, at a place called um, Original Ruzan. I think they were Korean. They're not there anymore. So I thought, well, what the heck? I'll go. So I show up. It was from 530 in the morning till 10 at night. So I showed up. And again, it wasn't like I showed up and said, okay, what's the plan here? What does the day look like? You know, is there food? Is there a schedule? No, none of that happened. I just show up and whatever the person next to me did, that's what I did. And I don't even know why I thought that was okay. But it didn't seem, it like, it just didn't seem to matter. And about six o'clock in the afternoon, I was like toast. I was completely exhausted. And I remember thinking, okay, you should be counting your breaths here. I, for all I knew, I wasn't breathing anymore. I couldn't even find my breath. And I stopped on the way home at a McDonald's to get a cup of coffee and I fell asleep for an hour. And I remember just thinking, what is this? How could you get so exhausted really doing absolutely nothing all day long but sitting staring at a wall? It was just like, it was just too weird somehow. And at some point, Seven Ross showed up to be the teacher at Chicago Zen Center. He was from a, a student of 
Roshi Kaplow's out of Rochester, New York. And he was like a powerhouse. I mean, he showed up. He raised a ton of money for the place, first of all. And he, he threw in more people and he remodeled the kitchen and he remodeled the Zendo. And he started to, people started to get connections with Rochester and go to Shashin's in Rochester. And he started to have Shashin's. And so I went to a four day Shashin out in Rochester. And I remember two things that happened. One was at one of the rounds I was sitting, everything was completely wrong. I mean, I was absolutely miserable. My knees hurt, my back hurt, the stupid timer, I had no idea what time it was and was never going to ring that bell. Every goofy thought I could possibly have showed up. Every and I thought everybody else in this Zendo, there's something the matter with all of them. I, there's just, this is just, and the bell rang and I got up and it was like a puff of smoke. It was like whatever was miserable instantaneously at a ping of a bell evaporated. And I was like, I don't know. I went to sit down again. And the misery wasn't there. And I was like taken aback. I was like, well, what is this about? What happened to all these crazy people sitting with me that don't know what they're doing? And it was, it was a weird experience. The other thing that happened is this, the, the head of the Zendo or the head uh, monitor, they used that, uh, encouragement stick and I, and I, you know she probably thought she was encouraging me but I, I, you know at the end of the day I almost wanted to grab that stick from her hand and say okay we're done here lady I I hated that woman I was just like this is what this is a crazy thing you're doing here you just uh, this is this the Mala now she is a she's a teacher of her own now she has a center in New Zealand Newmarket New Zealand somewhere the weird thing is, it's not like I stopped practicing. And what I realized is, I began to realize, and it wasn't just me, but my friends would comment on it. My life was changing. I was like different. I was quieter. The inside of my head was quieter. It was like somebody turned off a stereo or some music or a radio that I didn't know was on, but until it got quiet. And Things were better. And so I kind of thought because I was liking myself more and uh, yeah, it was, it was easier and better. So for a while I worked on these, um, the Buddhist center of the Midwest had these women's conferences that I worked on for a while and the woman who came to one of the centers, she stayed at my house. And truthfully, I don't remember her name, which is I should, because she did stay at my house for a couple of days. But she told me she actually came from Germany to the United States to study Zen with Philip Kaplow. And she had read all his books and she had read all these sutras and she knew all this stuff about Zen. And I remember thinking, well, what's that about? That like, I don't know, but once it, it never occurred to me, like, to read what the teacher wrote, or I, I, I don't know, it just was not. And and then I looked around, and I realized, 
other people are doing this on purpose. Like they have a plan here and they like, they know what they're doing. They're like thinking about it and reading about it. And somehow I, I don't know, I got it into my head, like somehow they were invested or committed. And I was like this interloper who just sort of showed up and sat and, I'm not sure why I thought that, actually, when I think back on it, because, you know, I was a dues-paying member of the center. I was going to Shashin's. I was going to sittings. I was the head cook at all-day sittings and Shashin's. It wasn't like I wasn't involved, but it was, I don't know, it was just different somehow. And I had a real sense of affinity with Seven Ross, the teacher. We came from similar backgrounds. I really liked him. And I did a lot of koan readings with him. And I, I know some people may know this. He left the Zen Center because he got in trouble for a, a sexual abuse of one of his students. And that that was really hard for me. Because, first of all, I really liked him, and I really, I learned a lot about Zen from him. And I knew the woman involved. She was a friend of mine, and it, that was, other people told me they kind of knew what was going on. I, I completely clueless, had no idea. And I, I don't know, I was just like, how could you miss something that big? And how could you be friends with someone and not know what's going on in their life? And why, you know, I wasn't able to like help her or protect her or, you know, help her figure out what it was. It was pretty awful. And I stayed after he left. I stayed. I don't actually know why I stayed. Maybe I thought, you know, I could help sort it out and put the center back right again. But It got worse when I stayed because one of the things that happened was when Seven Ross was there, nobody really talked to each other about their practice. Talking about practice was considered adding something to the practice. It was considered extra and not necessary. And you didn't want to be comparing your practice to somebody else's practice. So when he left and people started to talk about what was going on, more than one person came up to me and would say things like, well, I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't want to say anything because I wanted to finish the koan curriculum. And I thought, okay, wait, first of all, you knew what was going on and you didn't like clue me in. What, 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 what is that about? First of all. But second of all, this idea of finishing a koan curriculum, I thought, okay, how do you do that exactly? Because in my mind, you know, a koan, it's a little story, a little puzzle, whatever it is. But, you know, as I mature or I regress or I change, it changes. Uh, You know, it looks different. It's got a different thing to tell me. So I don't know. To me, it's kind of like, a lifetime's work working on Cohen's. And if you're going to finish them, I don't want to get too melodramatic here, but what are you dying here? I mean, how does that actually happen that you would finish a career? And 
And then people started to talk about enlightenment in weird ways that somebody told me one of the teachers that came to the uh, women's conference, uh, he said, I threw a Dharma barb at her and she didn't catch it. She's not that enlightened. And I thought, okay, what does that exactly mean? You know, what are there enlightened people and not enlightened people? How does that, it was just, I don't know. Somehow it was just like, okay, I don't know what you think you're doing here, Jerry, but clearly whatever you're doing is not what everybody else here is doing. And there's something, it, it, it just got, it, it just got really worse. So I just quit practice and I was like, okay, this is like, this is just not working here. So, and I didn't practice for a while. And then what I realized was I was, it, it was like, a, it was like a, a muscle I had was weakening. I was, I was missing the practice. I was missing Okay, so you know when you practice, what you really do is you focus your attention on what's right here in front of you. you know, I'm not banging on the desk, but yeah, that's what you do. And you take your 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 take your you take your attention away from you know all those crazy people who you used to be, and all the people who you think you're gonna be, and all the stuff you did yesterday and tomorrow, and you know all the jibber jabber and all the people you think you know and, you know, the images you have, and that all fades into the background and you just focus on what's right here, what's not. And when you do that for just short periods every day, regularly, that sense of what's right here, right now, it like oozes into everything else in your life. It sort of seeps through everywhere. And, it shows up in places like, like it's a surprise. Like you didn't, like one time I was, uh, I was uh, making a tomato pie for a friend of mine who was sick. And I don't know, at some point I realized that's all I was doing was making this pie. And normally, you know, I would be thinking, mm, God, you know, what is she, she's not going to like, it's too vegetarian. She's not going to eat this. You know, you probably shouldn't have offered to do this. You're probably intruding. She probably wants to be left alone. I, you know, but there would be a six million little vignettes and stories and a little movie going along about making this pie. And I, I don't know, I was just, all of that like faded away. And I was just making a pie. And another time shortly after that, I was going to this meeting at work. And like I, I was dreading it. I just, you know, there were going to be people that I didn't like, that were going to have agenda things. I didn't want talk about they all had secret things they wanted to be doing I thought and I got really nervous and and worked up about it and so I that was back you know when we went to offices and had conference rooms I went to the conference room and I just sat for I don't know 20 minutes just to calm myself down and sort of get a grip on what I was thinking and when I finally walked into this meeting I'm telling you it was all I could do not to burst out laughing because somehow I had made up this whole story and I had the meeting done before the meeting even started. And that just seems so comical to me that somehow, I don't know, I created this whole little story and nothing actually happened yet. 
But besides that, it just freed up all of this space that I actually could go in the meeting and just let it play out. And like, instead of like having little scripts of what people were going to say, people actually got to talk on their own. It was, and you know, when I could listen to what they had to say, and it was a way easier chilled out meeting than I, than the crazy one that I made up and was, you know, 90% of what happens that are like, we make up and somehow we forget that. Somehow we think that it's real. And what's real is, you know, what's where we are right now. It's, I used to think, you know, for a while, I used to think because my life was so much better and this idea of this sense of, I don't even know what to call it, of the right here, right now, oozing into everything and seeping into the rest of your life is such a wonderful thing. I thought, well, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and like everybody should be doing it. So, you know, everybody I knew, I went out and said, you got to be doing this. Well, you know, I have friends that look at me and say, you know, we, you got that culty Zen thing going on. We know that. That's okay, Jerry. We like you anyway. You know, that's the last thing they want to hear that they should be sitting in. You know, and maybe they shouldn't be. You know, it, 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 this sense of what really is real and actually being able to see that and live that out. People get that from places other than Zen. I mean, you get it from sitting in Zen. And, you know, so if that works, it works. But it's not like... That's the only place you get it. So when I left the Zen Center, I actually sort of did what that woman who moved from Germany did. I thought, well, okay, let's do a little research. Where do you want to go and where would you sit? And so I went for a while to um, a place in our prospect called Dharma Drum. Some people I knew from the women's conferences went there. And then Laurel Ross said, well, why don't you try here? She was coming here to the Ancient Dragon. So I came to Ancient Dragon and... I don't know. Believe it or not, when I showed up at Ancient Dragon, I actually thought I knew something about Buddhism and Zen. And why I would think that when I think about it, it's not like I read about Zen or knew stuff in the sutras or, you know, I did a little koan study. But really, and you know, and I knew that about me. I know, you know, I don't really know anything about this. You know, I got that. But somehow I got here and I thought, okay, I know something. And the first time I walked into the Zendo, I was just appalled. People were talking in the Zendo. And I thought, well, you can't be talking in the Zendo. What? That's not Zen. What? What is that about? Zen is about sitting still and being silent and talking is not a thing here. And the first time I was the cook for an all-day sitting, at the end of the day, Okay, I was just like, okay, these people don't know how to run a kitchen. I, I, you know, I don't know what they're thinking they're doing here, but the meal is made at the wrong time of the day. It's too noisy. There's not enough people involved. They don't have a rice cooker. I, it was just like, and I told this to a friend of mine. I have this friend, Joyce. I've known her since we were kids together. And, you know, she's one of the people who thinks, yeah, okay, whatever that Zen thing is you're doing, whatever, but leave me out of it. And so I was complaining to her, you know, they don't know how to do this. And she said, really? Like there's a ritual for Zen cooking? Like who makes up those rules? And are they really 
religious or are they, what, you know, are they, is there a penalty if you don't buy? And she had all of these questions. And I thought, okay, sometimes you just, you just need someone to point out the obvious, you know, like, what did you think, Jerry? There's only one way to run a kitchen here, you know? And then I got, you know, this cooking in the kitchen and making the meal is like sitting. It's like not two separate things. It's part of that thing about, it's a way to learn about how this, 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 this practice of right here, right now sort of oozes in and seeps its way in to everything you're doing. And pretty soon that's all you're doing really is sitting. And all of those little movies that we create and little vignettes we have and stories about ourselves and other people, they tend to fade away. And, you know, I'm not here advocating that we should stop making up stories or making up little vignettes or stopping the little movies we have in it. Because that's kind of like how we navigate around the world. I mean, we got to have some idea of what's going to happen next. I mean, that's just, you know, we'd be stumble bumbling into everything if we didn't sort of do that. But this sense of reminding ourselves that some of that we're making up. It's, you know, just because just because we think this is real, no, maybe not necessarily is it real. And for a long time, I thought practice was just about the sitting. That all, that's all you had to do, show up and sit, and that was it. And there is something to be said for that. That's a big part of it. And it's also true, that's really all you have to do. You just show up and you sit. And that's it. You don't do anything else. There's no, you don't have to like engineer it or map it out or you don't, trust me, I know not, you don't have to know any, you can do it on a whim and it still just manages to function just perfectly a-okay. But, you know, when you think about, okay, why do you put on that seven piece robe? Part of putting on that seven piece robe is this, it's this discussion. It's, it's hearing people talk about what their Zen practice looks like in everyday real life world to them. That's a really, that's as big as, as figuring out where your attention goes. And it's big for two reasons. One is, I don't know if you've ever gone to a discussion and you hear someone talk about their practice and you realize, I know what that is. And they say it so eloquently, but you get, yeah, I've had that experience. I know what they're talking about. When someone says, oh, yeah, you know, it's like the cleaning lady came and cleaned up inside my mind. And so now there's more space in there for me. You kind of know what they're saying. It's, there's nothing more intimate and more connected than getting that. And it also reinforces that those those changes we see in our life when we sit regularly, we're not making that up. Other people have those same experiences. If that is true, your, your mind does get somehow more spacious. You get more chilled out. You remember that you're making up most of the stuff that goes on here, and maybe you shouldn't get too attached to this crap that you're making up every day long because some of it is just baloney baloney and doesn't, you know, need our time. It, 
you need to hear that. You need to know that. The other thing is, and I know people say you shouldn't compare your practice to somebody else's. And that's true. But I'm here to tell you two completely opposite ideas could be true at the same time, because you really do need to know how other people are practicing. How else do you know? You could be practicing too hard, putting too much effort into it, getting yourself all tied up like you're some, you know, Zen rock star. When, you know, then you talk to somebody else and you figure, okay, I got to ease up here. This is a little whacked. Or, you know, maybe you're not paying enough attention or you don't have enough sense of the power of what is really behind this practice. And the sense of awe, you, you, you gotta, you gotta listen to what other people are doing to sort of, I mean, truthfully, look around, look at all those religious people, you know, that somehow going down a good, solid religious path ended up in rabbit holes and crazy spots. Uh, it, it happens. You've got to have somebody that says, I don't know what you think you're doing here, but you know, you're not on the right page here. It, it, uh, in some ways, you know, and I don't know what happened to Seven Ross, but in some ways, I, I think that was a an issue because he didn't talk about practice and he didn't talk about what he was experiencing in practice. And sometimes I wonder if he didn't have somebody in his life who could say to him, what the hell are you doing here? You know, and sort of clue him in that, hey, did you realize you took a left turn here in the wrong direction? And did you realize the pain and the suffering this is going to create for people, you know, you gotta have that. You gotta, it's not, it's more than camaraderie. It's the willingness to share what goes on in your practice in everyday real terms and to listen to what goes on in other people's practice and to be able to somehow figure out, okay, does this make sense still? Because if it stops making sense, then you should stop sitting because you know, I mean, what, that's what it's all about is, is, and it's not about trying to make your life be better or to get to a better place or to get enlightened. Really, it's about learning to be where you already are because where you already are is really pretty fantastical. I mean, it's, it, it just, you know, somehow it's that grass is always greener. We think if we go live across the street, we're going to be better off. It's just not true. It's just, it's when we can just be where we are and who we are, it, life gets, gets way so much easier. I mean, and once you figure that out, it's like, well, you never want to go back to the hard way. It's just like, who wouldn't want to be doing this? And, I say that, you know, one time, one of the first machines I went, or all days I went to at Ancient Dragon, I remember Tygen said, enjoy your practice. And it was just two little words. And I thought, enjoy your practice. Nobody had ever said that to me. And I never actually thought about practice as something to be enjoyed. And I was taken aback and I thought, Okay, how would you do that exactly? And so I realized, well, okay, let's just let's just pretend that it's enjoyable. 
you know, I mean, you make up other stuff, crazy stuff that, you know, unconsciously that you don't even know you're making up. Let's make up something on purpose. Let's just pretend this is fun. And it turns out Tygen wasn't all that wrong. It, it, it can be, you know, there is something about once you settle in and you're just sitting there breathing in, breathing. It's very relaxing. I mean, for me, it takes a whole lot of effort just to sit still, even today. Like, I'm just a born fidgeter. I, you know, it's just like, okay. But when you can just settle in and just sit, it's it's actually pretty pleasant. It's so, and, you know, I say this, even today, you know, if I sign up to go to like a all-day sitting or a shashin, there's those, sometime between when I sign up and when it starts, I have the sense of, oh, God, I signed up for this. I don't want to go to this. Maybe I could be sick. There's just, I just get this sense of dread, like, really? You did this? You know, and and, uh, every sashin, I'll have that round where it's just like, okay, if that bell ringer doesn't ring that bell, I'm going to walk over there and I'm going to ring it for him because this, this is just, I'm done. And it doesn't seem to matter. It does, you know, and I think about it, you know, it's something I don't do well. It exhausts me. I've been beaten with a stick. You know, I, I, I felt betrayed and really hurt by this practice. And yet there is something about this daily discipline of purposely focusing on what's right here, what's now, and letting that just play out naturally without doing anything else that is transformative. It just it just makes all the difference from living on Easy Street and living on Hard Street. I don't know how else to say it, but it's just it's it's not exactly magical. It's just you know, you, you you know, people, you know, you tell people you're in Zen and they think, oh, isn't that cool? You're going to really fun places. It's like this mystical, magical carpet ride. Well, really, where we are right here, right now, that's that's where the mystical, magical carpet ride is. I, I mean, if you just could be there, it's and it's actually it's worth all the crazy, goofy nutso stuff we bring to it that makes it be like seem strange and weird and and that ability to share that experience with other people it's just as important as the sitting part it's just yeah it's just a wonderful thing to do so i want to read a poem that i found in this um i've been reading this realizing uh Genjo Koan by uh, uh, Shokaku Okuramu. And it's uh, it's his teacher wrote this poem, but it's a lovely, you're going to like this. It's a lovely poem. It's called, um, it's written by uh, Yuchami Roshi, who's uh, Okumura's teacher. And it's called Just Live, Just Die. The reality prior to the division into two Thinking it to be so, or not thinking it to be so, believing it to be so, or not believing it to be so, existence, non-existence, 
life, death, truth, falsehood, delusion, enlightenment, self, others, happiness, unhappiness. We live and die within the profundity of reality. Whatever we encounter is Buddha life. This present reality is Buddha life. Just living, just dying with no life or death. So that's all I have to say. Thank you very much for listening to me. It was very kind of you. And if people want to ask questions or make comments or share what they know or think, that would be fabulous. Thank you so much, Jerry. Um, that was uh, that was great, and I enjoyed hearing your story. And you're so funny. I think we could start a new genre of sit-down comics. Um, anyway, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, does Does anyone have questions for Jerry, or comments, or responses, or uh, maybe? Uh, and Yozan's hand is up, I think, and, and Laurel maybe as a fellow member at the uh, at the at that other Zen Center, maybe you can make some comments too. But Yozan first. You're muted. <laughs> My buttons don't work, Jerry. That was really wonderful, and uh, gosh. Maybe I've never heard you speak before, but I've never heard you. I know I've never heard you speak like that before. And, uh, you know, I, I, one of the lines, uh, you said something like, I know what that is. And they said it so eloquently. And you really did. And as Tygen pointed out in a really enjoyable way. And, um, you didn't use the word so much, but, you know, you were talking, talking about, you know, the, the aspect of, um, listening to other people's experience and, and that with your, and that when you're interacting with other people, you have a, you have a chance, obviously it doesn't always happen, but there's always the opportunity uh, that one of your Dharma brothers or sisters is going to kind of straighten you out, you know? And I mean, that's the, uh, I mean, it was just like, as I said, it, it was really an eloquent way to talk about one of the really important uh, aspects of Sangha, I think. So I just really, Really, thank you. I mean, that was for me, that was just delightful. Really loved it. You know, it's kind of funny because I have noticed sometimes when I'm really serious, I notice this at work. People start laughing. And when it first happened to me in meetings, I would actually tell people, okay, stop laughing because, you know, I'm being serious here and I'm not being funny or facetious. And then they would just laugh more. And so now, you know, I just like, okay, they're just going to laugh. Just, you know, step over it and just, you know, carry on like you're, you're serious. But and I, I, I have to say that always kind of takes me aback because I never think I'm being funny. I think I'm being dead serious and the whole room starts laughing and it's like, okay, we'll just wait for this to die down and then we'll just carry on like nothing happened here because it's, yeah, it's a weird thing. But, but thank you for your comment. Well, just, just to clarify, um, I don't know about other your work experience and otherwise. Um, I, I know through this, I was smiling and stuff, and I can see that other people occasionally were too. Uh, but be assured, uh, I mean, part of the reason I, I could do that, I think, is because I, I because I, yeah, I, the seriousness is very. 
You went on mute again, Nelson. I don't know what at what point I went on mute, but I was just going to say that, uh, uh, yes, I, I was smiling and laughing, and I think some others were a lot too. But be assured, it's not a matter of not uh, recognizing the seriousness of what you were saying. So, uh, Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I just want to add to that that, uh, you know, I feel like we were laughing with you because you're so passionate about what you say and, and so strong, and it's just such a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And I want to add one thing. You were talking about uh, that uh, Chicago Zen Center, whatever it is, that you, nobody was allowed to talk with uh, with each other about their practice. One of the things that I've intentionally done at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate is having people give talks, having lots of people give talks, lots of members of the Sangha give talks, students give talks. There are most Zen centers, many Zen centers, nobody speaks unless they've, you know, at least been Shuso, you know, not only not only having become priests, but having been Shuso. That's kind of standard in a lot of places. And I, you know, I don't want to give give all the talks all the time. I want, want to hear what everybody else has to say. Part of this part of this practice works when we allow ourselves to give each other feedback. So hearing you speak, yeah. Jerry, and hearing everybody speak. Anyway, yeah. it's a good it's a good thing, and we're all with you. So anyway, uh, I was going to call on Laurel yeah. and then just call on other people. Yeah, uh, thanks. Thanks for uh, giving me credit for bringing you here. I think I probably got a lot of points with everyone for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jerry and I used to live pretty close to each other, and we used to go to the Wednesday morning sitting, which I think started at 5.45. So I'd pick her up at like yeah. 5 o'clock every Wednesday morning. This is before work, of course. And uh, and we would uh, not talk to each other about our practice <laughs> in the middle of the night. I know. Uh, I want to I wanna just say something just to add to what Tygen said, because, you know, we think about when new people come to Zen, how weird it is for them, because we do all this weird stuff. But I think it's much weirder if you go from one Zen center to another Zen center, because you're so uh, ingrained with these rules, which seem like, well, more important than rules. I mean, they're just like truth or something. And uh, everything was so shocking. I mean, not talking in the Zendo was the least of it. Uh, people just were just outrageously breaking every rule there was. And uh, starting with talking with each other after having a discussion after the talk, because a talk that the teacher gave, you would sit in silence. You were not supposed to move. You could... I think the rule was you could move once during the talk, like switch your legs or something. Um, But then you would not talk to anyone else about the talk ever, not even in the car on the way home. I used to drive with Stuart and I'd like, like secretly ask him something about the talk, knowing it was an infraction, but I could trust him not to tell anyone. So this thing about communication was very bizarre and so healthy. Oh my God. So healthy to not have um, one person control the information. 
That is an unhealthy rule. So this discussion is just an example of (laughs) flagrant breaking the rule. (laughs) Anyway, let alone being funny. When you think about the, you know, when you think about the stories about the old Zen teachers, you know, when they would work with a teacher, they would all like take a little walking trip and they would go around to other teachers. And it really does make sense to do that, to go to other places and see how other people practice. Because it is, you get really, you get set in your ways. You think, okay, this is, you know, it's just like me thinking, okay, this is how the Zen kitchen works. Well, like there's only one way to do a kitchen. You know, it's like you do, you get, and it's, I I think it's one of the nice things about this center is that there are people who have practiced in a lot of different places and they bring a different perspective to it. Yeah. yeah, it's like biodiversity. It's, it's healthy. And it reminds me of when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I, I grew up Unitarian, and the Unitarian Church, they used to make us go to all the other churches and synagogues and mosques and every other thing. That was part of Sunday school. And they also made us go out in the woods and collect leaves. And the, it was like, and then my Catholic friends were like, oh, we're not allowed to go to any. It was like a forbidden. It's the same thing. You just like need to experience this stuff if you're going to get any understanding. I mean, don't we want understanding? Well, <laughs> when you think about your real life, that's, you know, that's the only way you keep yourself sane is because your friends tell you when you're like, how else would you know you know i mean you don't know how else would you know if you're if you're doing you know that's and you know if you can't say it out loud you probably shouldn't be doing it <laughs> frankly you know i mean it's like you got to keep something secret it, it, that i don't know just just thinking about what that means it's like well okay that can't be really healthy yeah, I uh, thanks for your talk. It was fun. It was uh, particularly good to hear someone else's version of the painful implosion. Yeah, which I would tell that story differently, but I like your version. <laughs> so, uh, other people comments or responses or questions for Jerry David Weiner. You're on mute. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, I just want to say, you know, we know each other personally as friends and et cetera. What I just love about your talk so much is that it wasn't ivory tower zen. <laughs> it's real life zen. <laughs> We're not somewhere up in the cloud trying to be, you know, holier or, or something. It's, it's it's real life. And, and, and that's what you bring to it. And that was just so great to hear. That was just really great to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, David. Yes. Other comments? Asian? I just want to echo the um, compliments and appreciation, Jerry. I I know we've talked a little bit before your talk, and I've been really, really looking forward to your talk, and you have exceeded my expectations and see, that's that's what's so beautiful is I know you, you don't even care that you exceeded my expectations. And that's that's not <laughs> care. That's important. That's that's um I think what your talk just and you, you know, exemplifies so wonderfully is how 
rarely how how rare and wonderful it is to come across someone who is just being themselves and how you know we go through so much of our practice in my mind so that we can become more of ourselves and it's not that we weren't ourselves before but like you know like like you're saying when we realize all the stories that we're making up about everything um and we can let those go a little bit then we're really ourselves and and that's just that's wonderful yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah and i want to echo your um just comments about the need to talk I, I in the in the very very early days of ancient dragon we struggled with that a little bit i remember you know we would we we kind of instituted you know tea and cookies afterwards but but then people would just stand around it was really awkward because nobody really knew if you could say anything and and it took a it took a while to break that ice and and to um realize that um we people you know there's lots of different ways to practice and and practicing sangha is just as valuable and maybe more so than you know just kind of quietly sitting and practicing your own thing so i think um i don't know let's keep doing it and and yeah and we and the things that we the things that we get from each other that we can't get in any other way. I'm glad we've been able to bring it to the Zoom world. But but thank you so much for a really great talk. Thank you. Other comments or questions, people who haven't spoken yet, please. Can't some some of you are dark, it's hard to see, but Wade, you can help me call. Ian has a question. Yes. Oh, Jerry, thank you so much for your talk today. It was, uh, it was really, it was really wonderful. Um, I had a similar experience coming from a different center, where the the forms are a bit different. But I think it's important to remember the similarities are also there too. I think I think we have more in common than we do, you know, with yeah. So it, it's it's. Good to know that other people come from come from all over to, to practice here. Thank you for your talk. Yeah, I think that's true. I think some of the core things that you learn or the way you learn to practice, there are a lot of similarities from different centers, which and, and that's familiar. So yeah, that that is that's true. Yeah. I'm moved to call on Jason just because I know you also practiced at another place before you came to Ancient Dragon. Yeah, I practiced at um, another, uh, a couple other places, but substantially at a, um, uh, uh, I'm spacing on it, what lineage it is. White Plumasanga. So like kind of halfway in between Renzai and Soto. So coming to ancient dragon it was quite a bit different and also the the teacher there was a jesuit priest so like they did eucharist at the end of all day sessions so it was all sorts of interesting differences but uh it was it was so beautiful and helpful um to experience ancient dragons friendliness in light of coming from such a friendly place 
and that friendliness. Well, it's odd because the Zen world, the aesthetic of the Zen world is often cold, but everything about it is so warm hand to warm hand. Um, And I think that's, that's always the, the thing that I'm looking for whenever I step into a new Zendo. But beyond that, um, what a great talk. <laughs> it was just absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. And I never come to Monday night's uh, sittings just because it doesn't really fit in my schedule. But when I saw your name, I was just like, this is probably going to be awesome. So I have to show up. So thank you so much. <laughs> that's very kind of you to say. I'm surprised, but yeah, that's very kind. Wade had his hand up. Wade? Um, yeah, Jerry, I... I think we've we've sat together a bunch of times at the Irving Park Zendo, um, yeah. but I think this is probably ten times as many words as I've ever heard you speak combined <laughs> prior to this. Uh, um, so it was it was a delight to um, get to know you better, uh, and to uh, you know sometimes I think they're like these little I don't want to say hidden gems in a sangha, but like hidden to me. Right. Like, I didn't know, I didn't know that your Dharma was this um, delightful and, you know, ran this deep. And I, and so I appreciated learning that about you. And then thank you for sharing it. Um, I would also say that like humans laugh for lots of reasons, not just because they think things are funny. Um, So I, I was, I was smiling and laughing during your talk because I was experiencing just a lot of delight at your uh, your energy and your exuberance, and so I, it, it was a laugh of joy, perhaps. Well, that's good. Yeah. See, Tiger was right. You can enjoy practice. <laughs> Who yes. <knew? laughs> may all, uh, may all wait, be uh, happy. Uh, may they be joyous and live in safety. <laughs> David Ray has his hand up. Thank you, yeah. David. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, I so appreciated your talk. Um, it's like I knew there was something about your energy that 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 seemed wonderful to me, and it's it's great to it's great now to hear the words attached to it. I'm really really glad that I heard this talk tonight. Thank you for thank you for the Jerry Sutra tonight. Jerry <laughs> Sutra. Um, so I, I have a comment and, and a question, uh, and the the comment is just to, just something that I really resonate with. Um, you know, you, you described sort of kind of falling into Zen and, and, and then finding yourself in a, in a situation where a lot of things about it were maybe negative and maybe even parts of it might have been like exploitative or something like that. And I'm somebody who has gone from one cult-like organization to another in my life at various points. And some of them really were truly exploitative. And I have to say, you know, I got something from every one of them. Every one of them had some some piece of teaching um, that that has actually benefited me. And and um, I mean, I was really angry at some of them after I, after I left. But it's part of being a spiritual shopper, I guess. So that that's a that's the thing I wanted to share. And then I have a question for you. Um, you talked about how it felt like a muscle was weakening when you were away from practice. Um, does the opposite happen for you? Do, do you feel like a muscle is getting stronger and stronger as you, as, as you, um, spend, spend more and more time, more and more continuous time in practice over the years? I think that, that 
that sense of, and I don't exactly know what to call it, but that, the, that when, when, when I sit and focus my attention on what's right in front of me, that space and that sense, I don't know how else to describe it. It just oozes out and seeps out into more of the rest of my life. And the more I do it, the farther out it seeps into everything else. And the, mm-hmm. and the more it oozes into everything and, and, and it expands. And so that more of my life is actually ends up being spent right here. And when I don't practice, it tends to shrink back down somehow. I don't exactly know what, and I can tell sometimes if I, if I don't, whenever I get busy and I don't practice for a while, I notice it in how I'm feeling and reacting before I notice that, oh yeah, you didn't sit. And I'll think, oh yeah, you didn't sit for a while. You should sit because it's, I can feel that it's starting to like contract and the, the made up part is like taking over the real part. And sometimes that's what actually reminds me, oh yeah, you should sit again because yeah. So, yeah, I think the muscle gets stronger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we want to use that analogy, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's really well said, and I love how you describe it oozing into the rest of your life. I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's time for one more comment, or uh, well, it's getting to be late, but if there's anybody else has something they would like to say, uh, please question or comment. Okay. Um, thank you very much, Jerry. That was really a delightful talk, and it was thank really full of down to earth, down to earth Zen grit <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, and no, and know how. And so, uh, anyway, let's close with the four Bodhisattva vows. Wait, if you would please. Then we'll have announcements. Yeah, uh, Ian is going to lead us in this tonight. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it.